What do you want? Name it, claim it. What would you like to have? Here's a more important question. Do these desires come from the heart of contentment? That is a critical question when you're talking about things that you would like to see happen in your life, in your family, in your in your world. To want something does not have to be wrong. So I don't want to spend time in this podcast talking about the the wrongness of wanting things and to beat you up over your desires. No, praise God that you want things. We should always want all kinds of things throughout our lives. To not to want things is not to live. The heart of the matter for any of us is when our wants begin to control our thoughts. And so the point here is not to eliminate all the wants and the desires and the cravings, the hopes, the wishes, the dreams in your life, but we do need to make sure that those things do not control us, that they are not managing our emotions. When that happens, another God, little G-O-D, begins to rule our lives. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. You're listening to Rick Thomas, and I'm glad that you are here. If you want to read this article, I want you to read it. And I require that you share our articles, everyone that you read, that you share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. And so make sure that you share them broadly, because if you've benefited from it, more than likely one or two of those 1,000 friends are going to benefit as well. I stated in a a couple of podcasts ago that I would appreciate it if you would go on your podcast platform, wherever you are listening to this podcast. And so go ahead and stop this podcast right now and write a review. Of course, that's if you have a five-star review. If it is a one-star review, well, you just keep listening until... (laughs) until you get some more stars, and that would be fantastic. But will you go and write a review? You just might not believe how that that helps organically, algorithmically to reach more people. And so if you'd write a review, I'd appreciate it. The title of this podcast is Learning How to Keep What You Want from Controlling You. This is so important because I want you to keep wanting. I want to keep wanting. But we've got to learn how to make sure that the things that we desire do not manage us. The reason we want things is because we're different from the animal kingdom. God made you different from animals. He gave you an imagination. He gave you desires, wants, hopes, and dreams to aspire and long for perspective. Eventualities is part of what it means to be an image bearer. When Jesus walked among us, he wanted things To be human is to desire. Christians long for heaven, for example. We hope many people will come to know Jesus, absolutely, especially our relatives. Lord, let it be so. Paul encourages us to pray without ceasing. I mean, this whole idea of praying is asking, pleading with God for things that are on our hearts, And so the idea of wanting stuff is implied in the mandate 
for unceasing request, praying without ceasing. If you are a Christian, you bind your faith to a desire for things. Thus, if you penalize yourself for craving things, as though all desires are evil, you could be making a grave mistake. There is a better way to address the concept of hopes and the human heart. The more vital question to interact with is the motive for your wants. What do you desire? Now, you fill in the blank. I do want you to think about that question. And so when I ask, what do you desire? You fill in the blank. What is that thing that you desire? And then with that firmly fixed in your mind, what is the motive of your heart? When it comes to that thing or other things that you want, do the dreams you have for your life come from a full heart? Now, maybe that's an odd question for you. So let me repeat it, and then I want to walk carefully through it, and I want to give you some scriptures so that you can compare where your heart is to where we hope all of our hearts are are or will be soon. The question I ask you, do you operate from an overflowing heart? That may be the most important question that I'll ask you in this podcast. When David when David thought about his life with God, he concluded the Lord was enough. As a sheep standing in the Lord's corral, he could only boast, you know where I'm talking about, Psalm, one, Psalm 23, 1. And so David was standing. He, he's taking on the role of a sheep in that passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so as a sheep standing in the Lord's corral, he could only boast about the fullness that he experienced by knowing and being known by the Lord. Imagine saying something like that to your friends. It is a bold statement to say, I shall not want. Four syllables. You stand in your corral, wherever it may be, your cul-de-sac, your community, your church, your workplace, the coffee shop, and let everyone know those four syllables that that is what manages you. I shall not want. You see, David operated from an overflowing heart. Do the dreams you have for your life come from a full heart? Or do those things that you want, are they to complete you because you do not have a full heart? I shall not want. It's a radical life. David could not state it any other way. But he didn't stop with that bumper sticker, I shall not want. As he continued to talk throughout that psalm, we learn that his cup was overflowing. And that's why I ask you, do you operate from a full heart? Do you operate from an overflowing heart? You see, when David said, I shall not want, well, I mean, he could say that and just drop 
just drop it right there and not write out those other six verses in Psalm 23. But as you read through, actually, the rest of Psalm 23 is an explanation for this four-syllable radical statement. And in verse 5, he says, my cup overflows. Well, no wonder he doesn't want, because he's operating from a full heart. An overflowing cup is analogous to a heart that is full of contentment. The person with an overflowing cup does not live in an I want because I am a needy person world. Now, Paul was like David. He and David were two peas in the same contented pod. In a sense, Paul is the New Testament version of David. He had learned one of life's biggest secrets, which was to be content. Through the course of his life, Paul was able to find satisfaction in Christ alone. David would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Paul paraphrased this perspective for the Philippians in 4.11. He said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. If the cupboards were full or bare, through any circumstance, Paul learned how to be content. He found a better plan through Christ Jesus, who gave him the ability to live the unneedy life. He said it this way in 4.12, the very next verse, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Paul had a trajectory for his sanctification which prohibited any circumstance or any person from managing his emotions. The sanctification train that Paul was on sent him in a specific direction, and that direction kept all circumstances, all people from manipulating him. To be content was one of his highest aims, a goal that he did attain. Paul learned how to embrace the radical notion of no needs. Whatever remained on his list of wants and wishes and desires, well, okay, but they were not needs. But here's the thing, even his wants were under the influence, under the control, and the management of Christ. Even his wants, desires, wishes, and hopes, they were not needs, but even those were under the control of Christ. Because of his overflowing satisfaction in Christ alone, he was not under the controlling spell of his hopes. That's why I asked again earlier, are you operating from a full heart? Are you working out of the overflow like what David talked about in Psalm 1 or all six verses in Psalm 23, Psalm 1, Psalm, Psalm 23, verse 1. It appears Paul lived a contradiction. On one hand, he was full, he was complete, and according to what he said, in need of nothing, because he had learned contentment, but yet Paul wanted things. 
Do you hear the contradiction here? I am full. I am in need of nothing, but yet he wanted things. And we know this from every letter he wrote. Every letter was full of desires, full of wants, full of requests, full of appeals. We learn at the end of the message to the Philippians that both of these things are true. I need nothing, and I have many things that I want. Now, this is a puzzle, and Paul's puzzle brings us back to our key question. Do the things that you desire to happen in your life come from a heart of contentment? If you understand the question, then you understand Paul's puzzle, and it really isn't a contradiction that two things are true at the same time. I have need of nothing. I have many things that I want. If any kind of desiring happens where contentment is not the heart's pre-existing condition, your desire will not be God-centered or others-focused. Before you can truly enjoy the riches of giving to others or receiving from them, you must be content. Contentment must be your pre-existing condition. Paul's pre-existing condition was the same as David's. He was content, and because he had contentment, he didn't need anything. To want something is not wrong, but the thing that you must examine is why you want what you want. When you go through the list of things that you would like to have, why are they on your list? Now, this query is where Paul gives us clear insight. I want you to listen to Paul's motive when he talked about getting stuff, wanting stuff, having desires, wishes, dreams, hopes, aspirations. In Philippians 4, 16 and 17, here's what it says. Even in Thessalonica, Paul says, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift that you sent to me, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I didn't want the gift because I had need of something. I wanted it so that it would redound to fruit that increases to your credit. Paul already said that when he spoke about wanting something, it was not because he operated from an empty or half-empty cup. Let me read 4.11 again. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He did not have to fill, fill in the blank to be happy. He didn't have to have this, whatever this is, to be happy. He was already content. He was already satisfied. Pre-existing condition. So the things he wanted for himself were not for making him complete. Like David, he operated from the overflow. He operated from a full heart. So the things that he wanted were not to complete him. Paul's desire list, his wish list, was not primarily about him but about others. That's what Philippians 4, 16, 17 says. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
He was always about others. He knew that if he needed something, the good Lord would supply it, a condition of the heart that that countered stress, it countered worry, it countered fear. This worldview is where you and I, we need to scrutinize our hearts. Your motive for giving and receiving, this idea of wanting stuff and giving stuff and receiving stuff, your motive for giving and receiving, it will reveal how you think about God and what you expect from others. What do you want and why do you want it? The more important question, this is 1A, 1B, 1A is why do you want it? Are the things you want or the things that you need primarily for the benefit of others? It is a directional question. If your wish list, desire list, aspiration list is is pointed toward you as though you are an empty or half-empty love cup, then, well, you have a problem. But if you're operating out of the overflow, a contented heart, you are well satisfied in God. If that is your pre-existing condition, then the things that you want, well, they will not be primarily for you. It'll be for the benefit of others, which is how Paul operated. This kind of worldview removes the power that your desires can have over you. The person with the full heart, the overflowing cup, can and should want things, always want things, Always desire, never stop desiring. I've, I've said many times, and it's not original with me, my second pastor where I went to Bible college, he said, a man should die with a 1,000 unfulfilled dreams. And what he meant was is that you were always planning, strategizing, desiring, hoping, wanting. I live that way. I've lived that way before he said it, but... When he said it, it crystallized in my mind, and that was some 30 years ago in my intense life and intense passion. And I'm asking God to always stir up my mind to keep it fertile because I, I want to keep exploring, keep pushing, but, but not for because I'm needy. It's for the gospel's sake. The person with a full heart can and should want things, but if those things do not come to pass, uh, they will always be okay because their wants were not for personal completion's sake, but the benefit of others. John echoed this perspective in Third John 4. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my, my children are walking in the truth. It's a beautiful sentence that John gives us. His greatest joy was other-centered. John's life, like Paul's life, like David's life, was wired for the benefit of others. And that is where John found his greatest joy. The disgruntled, always longing, cannot be a happy person, will never enjoy the rarefied air of other-centered living. The needle of their lives will always be pointing toward empty as they seek one more fix from the people they believe should give them what they want. When our love turns inward, our souls will eventually rot. There is probably not a more fertile ground for a need deficit theology to gain traction in our lives than in marriage. You can usually predict this when you 
when you pop the why do you want to get married question during premarital counseling. I ask this question because I'm always curious. Uh, during premarital, it's like, why do you want to get married? It's one of the most important questions that you can ask. Why do you want to get married? And if they don't have a robust, biblically-centered, bibliocentric, need-deficit theology, meaning they understand this idea of needs, the deficit, the deficits we have in our lives, is it to fill us up or is it to fill up other people? That's really the question. And so you ask, why do you want to get married? Well, there are two possible answers. One answer, and this is the best one, by the way, I want to get married to glorify God most effectively, uh, more effectively, and bless others, especially my future spouse. The other answer, and this is the one that you'll get 99.99999% of the time, I want to, or some version of this, I want to get married because I would like to have fill in the blank. And that is virtually why all people get married, and unfortunately it's not the best idea, reason, motive. The attitude of their hearts will determine the quality of their future marriage. Now, if you index forward 10 or 20 years, you will see if they have been operating from the overflow or if they have been demanding the other person to make them happy. In too many cases, the future newlyweds had a self-focus. God may be in their wedding picture somewhere, but he is pushed to the side as the young couple seeks to get their longings met through each other. Empty people have expectations from their marriage partners to meet, or they will pour their disappointment on them through anger and other forms of manipulation. They place the accent mark on what they expect to get out of marriage rather than what they can put into it. Full people, different from empty people, full people, they experience disappointment just like the empty people. In that way, empty people or half-empty people, wherever you want to put the needle, but emptying people versus full people, both of them experience disappointment. Their disappointing experience does not control them because they know God will supply all their needs through Christ's riches, which is that text that we love the quote in 419, my God will supply every need according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Yay! Nearly every young Christian couple will tell you that Christ satisfies their every need. But the real test comes at the first series of disappointments they experience from their new spouse. It would be unfair to expect any young couple to be mature enough to respond well when disappointment comes but the young lovers need to learn this attitude of the contented heart, so do I, by the way. And maybe you do, too. If they want to have a Christocentric marriage, they have to be operating from the overflow. This perspective on desires is critical learning for them. If they do not master it, their unmet hopes and their future disappointments will manage them. Paul's theology for giving and receiving, well, it was sound. It was solid. And it allowed him to enter into giving and receiving discussions. 
Paul could talk about giving and receiving. And you heard that. I, I mentioned it earlier as I shared that verse with you. It wasn't primarily for what he could get with the gift, but so that the gift would produce fruit, that it would increase to those who uh, were the recipients of it. It it is safe to talk about what you want if the thing that governed Paul's heart is overseeing yours. I want to give you five sequential and essential steps for wanting something. It's right in the text. I've been walking through Philippians 4 in this podcast, if you haven't picked up on it, starting specifically with 4.11. And so I want to go 4.11, 4.12, 4.13, 414 through 16 and 417. And so here's the context, here's the passage of scripture. So here are five sequential, and there's a sequential order here. There are five sequential and essential steps for wanting something. In Philippians 411, I, I read that verse earlier, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever situation I am to be content. Point number one, Paul did not need anything. Now flow out of that, 4.11 to 4.12. In 4.12, he said, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. So point one, Paul did not need anything. Point two here in 4.12, Paul was content. And so you don't need anything. Well, it's kind of obvious if you don't need anything, then you are content. Then point number three. Philippians 4.13, you know that one very well. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Point three is Paul knew he could overcome any deficits through Christ. So step one, Paul did not need anything. Step two, Paul was content, obviously, because he didn't need anything. Step three, Paul knew he could overcome any deficits through Christ, which is 4.13. And then step number four, based on this foundation... Paul could now talk about what he wanted. He only talked about what he wanted after he laid the foundation of not needing anything, being content, knowing Christ would meet him. He could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. Therefore, in Philippians 4, 14, 15, and 16, now he's talking about things that he wants. And then step number five, Paul's motive for wanting things was not for self-serving reasons. And that's what I shared that verse earlier in 417, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You now have a life-transforming question to answer. Are you full? If you are, you do not need anything. Not needing anything is the basis for contentment. The contented sheep says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This condition is not only experiential shalom, it is a life-shattering, transformational shalom. The individual who lives in contentment understands the release from the certain manipulations and disappointments that come from others. Again, empty people and full people both experience disappointments and manipulations from other people. But others can't control the contented person. May we learn from the great apostle. Paul could not be disappointed 
because he had learned not to need anything. And though it sounds like a contradiction, if there were something he wanted, he knew Christ would fill it. Paul lived in the perfect tension of not needing anything, but expecting to have his needs met through Christ. Now, with this kind of confidence in Christ, Paul could talk to the Philippians about giving and receiving. We often enter into discussions about what we hope from others before we learn contentment. This kind of undeveloped sanctification is dangerous and relationship damaging. If contentment does not manage your heart first, the things you say will have a self-centered, self-motivated flavor. You'll have a greater interest in yourself than others which Paul talked about in Philippians 2, if you back up a couple chapters, and that will make you an addict to those who have something that you desire. Again, 4.17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Because of Paul's contented condition, the things he wanted were not primarily about himself. Godly parents, by the way, are like this. They want nothing, but then when it comes to their children, they want many things. You see, the, what I said sound like a contradiction, but now we know it's not. Paul looked at those he served as his children into faith. The things he wanted to have were for their benefit. May you learn and live like the great apostle Paul. The title of this podcast is Learning How to Keep What You Want from Controlling You. You can read everything that I just shared with you, if you wish, the same title on our website. If you want to print it off, there's a button at the bottom of the article that you're welcome to click on, and you can print it off and share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. As always, if you want to talk to us about this podcast, we want to talk to you. We have a free community forum that's brought to you by the people who love what we do, and they show that love by supporting our ministry. And so they have given you a free community forum where you can talk to us. I do have a call to action at the end of this article. If you want to get into a couple of very helpful questions, uh, I would encourage you to do so. And I would also appeal to you that you need to talk about this with a friend who can work with you. Every Timothy needs a Paul, and so may you find your Paul, and may they walk you through this. Now, if you don't have that person in your life, again, please come to us. Let us serve you. We would love to do that. Thank you so much for listening.